I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need, and get 10% off with the code all caps FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10, to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. Joyous Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah, all you anti-heroes out there. It's Doc Askins coming at you with another one of my favorite podcasts, the Q5 podcast, where I ask my five favorite questions to people of widely diverse backgrounds, and we compare notes. Let's see how similar and how different we all really are when you scratch a little bit below the surface. Today, I've got a treat for you. I've got Dr. Drew Johnson. He's a visiting associate professor at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. He was a professor at the King's College in New York City previously, and he's the director of the Center for Hebraic Thought, editor at The Biblical Mind, host of The Biblical Mind podcast, and co-host of the OnScript podcast. Before that, He was a high school dropout, skinhead, punk rock drummer, combat veteran, IT supervisor, and pastor. All things that he hopes none of his children ever become. (laughs) I love this bio, bro. You might be the best one so far. What was that? You're old hardcore, too. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. Absolutely. Hard Syracuse hardcore, hardcore yeah. is my thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 absolutely. I was you Midwestern hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outstanding, man. I love I love bringing you on this podcast. It's going to be a good time. I'm excited to right, have great this to conversation be here. for sure. I'm going to tell a story. I don't usually do okay. this, but since we know each other, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell the origin story of our friendship my way, and we'll see okay. if you remember <laughs> how, this, okay. how this went, but... We were at uh, an after-conference, theological, philosophical conference of some variety or another in Texas. I am now starting to remember yeah, yeah. Exactly we were at an what you're after party, yes. and we were yep. having a few drinks with a few folks. Uh, some people were drinking water. Some people were drinking wine. It was kind of a Jesus event. and uh, Right. And well, there were Baptists there. So. <laughs> you know, like I said, people were chugging water. Uh, you got to stay hydrated, and I don't hate them for it. But... At the time, I was consider I was I had already started pursuing a PhD in the Book of Job, but I was on the fence about whether or not to go into the inter-service physician assistant program and pursue a medical career. And I was, you know, kind of picking your brain and an, another uh, mutual friend of ours, Dr. Jonathan Pennington, and uh, the two of you were were influential in kind of steering me away from academe <laughs> and towards <laughs> medicine. And I am eternally grateful to both of you yeah. for your. Uh, I think we're we're kind of happy how that turned mentorship out. Mentorship well. like, in that regard. You're, you're doing real things in the world. <laughs> meant the world <laughs> to my wife and yeah. children for sure, if not <laughs> to me. But I remember that we were. Uh, uh, having a few drinks and 
I, as veterans often do, made an off-color joke about my level of skill with uh, drunk driving. And you shot right back with, my sister was killed by a drunk driver. (laughs) And I knew... One of two things was true. Either number one, you've used that in all these Christian academic circles and like pulled that one off on a whole bunch of people. And it's a, it's a good, it's a good pushback on a joke like that. Right. Or you're the kind of guy who turns that serious, that fast on something that's obviously a joke. So if it was option two, I knew we could never be friends. And if it was option one, I was going to call bullshit immediately. So I called bullshit immediately and we've been friends ever since. At least Facebook friends. I forgot I did that, but I'm like, yep, that sounds on par for exactly what I would do. Someone did that to me when I was deployed. I think I was probably like 19 years old on my first like combat deployment. (laughs) The whitest lieutenant you've ever seen in your life. Or he's a captain, maybe. But he's just like straight white dude. Looked like he walked off of like a, um, a beach mum movie or something. And I said something about Vietnam. My dad, you know, it's like, well, my dad killed a lot of Vietnamese in Vietnam. And he just looked at me and he goes, my mother was. (laughs) (laughs) And I, what do you do? I could not read the situation for the life of me. (laughs) I'm trapped. And uh, yeah, yeah. And ever since then, I was just, it actually took me, I think, a day or two. And I probably poked around a little bit to ask around to figure out that his mother was not actually Vietnamese. But I was like, man, that was that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So we used to. Yeah. Uh, one more story, and then we'll get to the questions. We used to do that yeah, on the yeah. high school wrestling team where I, I was captain my senior year, and there was this game we'd play where you'd get like a, a freshman to come ask one of the captains of, about like, hey, they'd play it up and say like, hey, ask Ben about his his grandpa. His grandpa can do a million <laughs> push-ups. Like he loves talking about his grandpa. And then they, you know, this poor little freshman had come over and say like, Hey, like I heard your grandpa could do like a million push-ups or whatever. And you would have to, without knowing that it was coming, turn right. as like dark serious as you possibly could <laughs> and yell at the kid. My grandpa right. doesn't have any arms. <laughs> <laughs> Just say something that ridiculous, that seriously. Uh, yeah. And it, you know, like I was pretty good at pulling it off. So, so what's wrong with us that we enjoy this so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, like I work in mental okay. health, but it's a mystery to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair. Anyway, now that we've uh, had a little trip down memory lane, let's get rocking and rolling with question number one. What's your story? I don't know what that word means. Look, what does it mean? Like, what's your deal? That's what I <laughs> like, like, Drew, what the, what's the deal with that dude? Sup, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your story? My story is, well, here, I'll I'll have PhD students who sometimes contact me and say like, hey, I read your bio and I saw you were a pastor and you did all these other things and now you're doing this academic thing. I want to know how to do what you did. And uh, my answer is always the same. Like, I didn't plan any of this, didn't plan on any of it. I didn't plan on going to seminary. I didn't plan on going to the PhD program. It, It all happened. I would say providentially, but just like I like my life story is stumbling backwards into things. Even this next thing I'm going to be working on this next year wasn't looking for. It just like dropped in my lap. So I'm not ambitious. I don't have really any like real ambition outside of like I want to be able to stand up under my own power when I'm 80 years old. Like that's what gets me to the gym. That's a good one. Basically, I don't have a lot of like career ambitions. If you say like, what are you going to be doing in five to 10 years? I, I have no idea. And I'm 
I don't really care that much. Uh, if I'm not in academics, I'm sure I'll be happy doing something else. So I don't really have a story. There's no like through line outside of like, I just kept stumbling into things and I just go like, okay, I'll do this. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, run us through your version, the Cliff's notes of high school dropout, skinhead, punk rock, drummer, oh, combat yeah, yeah. veteran, IT supervisor, pastor. Um, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I basically, I went to uh, high school in Oklahoma. I went to, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, never really went anywhere except for New York city in the eighties. I would stay with my uncle in New York city in the eighties. And I don't know how to tell people what that's like outside of that. My uncle, God bless him. I love this guy to death. Um, he's an S and M performance artist that's what he does now, <laughs> in his seventies. <laughs> but to be fair, he's been doing it for like 30 years. He's an old pro. Yeah. But I'm like, 12, 13 years old, staying with him over the summer because my, my mom sent me up there. And uh, like he take first thing, he takes me to Times Square to get a fake ID. And we're at Times Square where you get fake IDs and see strip shows. <laughs> right. and that kind of, This is back in the 80s. Peak and then shows. we went out like, yeah. And then we went to like comedy clubs until three in the morning and where they had two drink minimum. So they, I'm, I'm still looking back going, I was a late bloomer. I didn't even hit puberty until 15. <laughs> And they're serving me like white Russians all night long at the comedy club. But I grew up in Oklahoma and basically my, my parents divorced. My dad moved to another state and I think that left a huge hole in for me. And so I was looking for male companionship wherever I could find it. Had a few teachers uh, that that worked out. Actually, one teacher who was an army helicopter pilot, he died actually in a night vision training exercise. Oh, wow. The year I was his like lab assistant oh, wow. right after my dad left. So that mm. was a guy. Yeah, yeah. It was a bad, bad arrangement. Double tap. I mean, <laughs> bad for him, but it hit, yeah, it hit me uh, particularly hard. And then, you know, as I got into heavy metal and hardcore and punk and stuff, um, a group of us just was like, hey, let's just become skinheads. And uh, it wasn't the racist variety, of course. My stepdad's black raised in Jim Crow South in the 1940s and 50s. So we weren't thinking about those kinds. Of, and my sister's uh, black or half black, as they say. So, but we, I liked all the like, hey, we, what do we do? Well, we get drunk and we fight. It's like, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. I'm up for that. More SLC <laughs> punk skinhead than American history oh, X skinhead, you, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I saw SLC punk, I was like, holy cow. They're like, even some of the characters in there, I was like, hey, we had a guy just like that in our scene, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, although I knew a guy who American history X was based off of. He's one of several guys who fit that category. Sure. It's lived composite. with, um, lived with that guy, white air and resistance guy in California. Like he had told me stories that showed up in that movie. I was like, holy cow, he wasn't making that up. But he was a convert as well. When, uh, he was a neo-Nazi, went to prison for gassing a synagogue in Dallas and then kind of saw the light and came out of it. Wow. So that, that was my world <laughs> in high school. <laughs> and I worked at a pub. <laughs> yes. And so so I drank most of my nights away. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, by the time you have to get up for school in the morning, I just wasn't motivated and uh, wasn't fascinated. So I really just didn't. I failed out of high school just because I didn't really care. didn't do anything about it. Wasn't interested. And then um, after I failed out, though, that's when I was like, okay. And I was, this is in the late 80s, early 90s in Tulsa where there was actually a lot of, there was a big FBI sting that was getting ready. I did not know this, but it was getting ready to go down that raked up a lot of these neo-Nazi groups. So we got pulled over. Anytime we were out, they see bald heads in the in the car. Tulsa police or the sheriff's pull you over, handcuff you, take pictures of your, your, your tattoos and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. We were lucky because the, they were, you know, we might have been drunk driving or doing something stupid or breaking the law, but they just wanted to know whether we we're neo-Nazis. And once they figured out we weren't, 
uh, they kind of cut us loose. Even like in some ways, I'm like, why did they cut us? That was dangerous. Yeah, they yeah, us, yeah. Like we had a case of beer in the car still and they just like cut us loose. So I dropped out, moved up to St. Louis where my dad was. And then basically I was like, I got to find something to do with my life. High school dropout. So uh, I joined a reserve unit and went away for two years active duty uh, or went away for a year active duty of training and then a year back active duty with the unit. And then I went on part-time. Well, I was on and off active duty with this unit and then, but I was getting deployed all the time for good training. And then I started volunteering to be deployed uh, all the way through college, went to college, worked at the federal, worked full-time as an IT guy at a federal center. And then like was just deploying two to three times a year. All the Christmases. Yeah, all every, I volunteered for every Christmas, so I didn't have sorry Christmas, so I didn't have to be around. Uh, and when I was about twenty, I think about two rotations in, and these are short, like one two month deployments, very short. This is before nine eleven. This is the the early nineties. I became I became a Christian, not of my own volition. <laughs> really, uh, it wasn't like I decided to become a Christian or I knelt down and, and accepted Jesus into my heart, but like. I had a serious conversation with God. I didn't wasn't really religious, but I'd had some experiences down in Colombia doing these kind of narcotics that I was like, man, humans are messed up. And a Christian guy said, hey, you can talk to God about this. I was like, ah, I don't really do the God thing. And so then I just, I got to the point where I was like, screw it, what can it hurt? And I started talking to God. And, uh, and then I had one of those like day and night, got changed existentially and had, I was like stuck just basically trying to explain what happened to me. And uh, the more I read the, uh, actually, more I read the book of Acts more than anything else. That's why I was like, I think something like this happened to me. I think this is it, you know? And then I reluctantly, about a year later, admitted I'd become a Christian. Okay. And then I kind of just went down that path, always skeptical of everything. Sure. <laughs> Which I think has helped yeah. in the scholarly pursuits Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So got married, adopted two children, had two accidents. Um, so <laughs> two beautiful four accidents, accidents right? yeah. four accidents two outsourced to guatemala <laughs> two in-house uh so so yeah we only had uh we we stopped it we not our choice but we stopped at four and now the older three are living back in new york city and the the baby is a senior in high school oh wow man i didn't know your kids were that old wow they're old yeah, yeah. which means correspondingly the implications that I, <laughs> I am I understand implications yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that kind of brings us more or less up to date. You want to tell us? Yeah, yeah. I did like, a couple. Uh, you know, like you got more degrees than Fahrenheit along the way by accident <laughs> somehow or something. Yeah. I mean, I finished my uh, my undergrad in psychology, and the guy who kind of coached me into like what had happened to me and was kind of a pastor to me or like a mentor to me, he taught me into going to seminary. Uh, and then once he explained to me what seminary was and what they do there. He talked me into doing like this guy, like he talked me into doing a four year full time degree, right? An MDiv, which was 110 credit hours. Uh, I know. Right. So it's a a massive beast, right? I was like, you only get a master's after all of that? (laughs) It's a professional Um, degree, but it's graduate. Yeah, 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 exactly. Cool. (laughs) Honestly, the hardest, hardest academic thing I've ever done in my life was that MDiv. Uh, The other master's degrees are not to be messed with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I was a horrible writer. I wasn't a good reader. Uh, the PhD was a cakewalk com- in comparison. Because you got to focus, right? Oh, yeah. I just got to sit there and read and write what I what I thought what I was finding. So, yeah, it's, yeah, you're only doing one thing. And apparently, even though I think I have some ADHD, I can, I can, maybe because I'm a child of the 70s, I can sit for eight hours in focus. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I did that master's and then I started working as a pastor at the church where I was going and immediately started a master's in philosophy because I had philosophical questions. And again, that was a, that was a frustrating degree because they did a very particular type of analytic philosophy that I wasn't super keen into, but, uh, I finished it off and then I did another uh, master's, uh, back at seminary, like a research degree, or I started on one. I didn't finish it. And then I uh, went over to Scotland and did a PhD. And again, the reason I went to Scotland wasn't planning on it. I was at Oxford giving a paper in a philosophy conference and a guy said, Hey, you should talk to this guy at St. Andrews in Scotland. He talks about philosophy the same way you do and not like all of these people. Right. So I just sat down with them, we arranged a coffee together. And after an hour and a half of him grilling me with every question under the sun about what I thought about things, I was like, this is a very aggressive conversation <laughs> at the end. Come at me, bro. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was like, I mean, he's like, what do you think of this? Okay. What do you realism think versus anti-realism? Go. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was down in the weeds real quick. And then at the end of it, he just goes like, well, I'd like you to come here and do a PhD with me. And the guy who arranged the meeting, I didn't realize in the British system, that is like, that means you're in the program. Yeah, yeah. Like, you got is, like the secret handshake. You can join yeah, the skulls yeah. and sabers and all exactly. of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah like f- filing an application. You're a made man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we sold our house and moved our four small children over to St. Andrew, Scotland. And two years later, finished that and then came back and uh, been working in New York City at King's College ever since until this last few months ago when kings closed yeah and, that's too uh, bad i didn't know that until we were talking job. today yeah. yeah yep so uh yeah so i think that catches everything up what, what was the dissertation in um i forget what it's called but it was something like epistemology in the the torah the pentateuch first five books and and the gospel of mark <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you go with the little gospel because you picked the whole book of the well, law right you know Honestly, that's how dumb I was. I was like, I'm going to do the synoptics. And then I realized at some point I can't do Matthew, Mark, and Luke because it's just too much. So I'm like, I'm just going to do Mark. I did not know. I, I honestly did not know that there is like three times as much secondary literature on Mark's gospel as there are right, the other gospels Right, because of Q combined. and all of right. that Yeah, bullshit, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as they discovered Mark and Priority, then yep. it exploded. So it actually, <laughs> I mean, there's a 200. in the foot like, yeah. Mark's really tiny. I'll do Mark. Yeah. 16 chapters? <laughs> What's there to read? Even, uh, yeah. There's Everybody a, there's else a is cribbing Mark's work, though. That's the problem, right? Yeah. yeah there's yeah. a 250 page book published. Uh, I forget the guy's name. That it's just a bibliography of secondary Markan literature since 1920 or something like. that. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, it's 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 insane. So, so yeah, I did I did that, and then I was really interested in theories of knowledge in the Hebrew uh, biblical tradition and then the New Testament as well. And then since then, I've gotten to ritual quite a bit, which is the embodied stuff and PTSD. And started re- the more I started yeah, reading yeah. on that, I was like, oh, hey, this starts to explain some experience of mine and people I knew. And then I've been a- really into kind of the intellectual world of the ancient Near East and where the Hebrews fit into that. So how do they compare to the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, the Greco-Romans? Yeah, that's super so, interesting stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah crazy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Ancient aliens, history channel sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm still like a little... <laughs> I, you know, I've written articles against conspiracy theory, sure. theorizing, and I think Christians shouldn't do this stuff specifically, but man, they get me every time with that, like that hard granite, like what cuts those tools in ancient Egypt. And I'm just like, <laughs> that is a tough one. That's a toughie. Yeah. 
I'm I'm highly skeptical, but completely we live in a open simulation <laughs> to having everything overthrown on a dime. And I think part of that is because I've I've had it happen before, where I thought the world was one way, and then surprise, surprise, it actually wasn't. So sure, so I'm yeah, There's skeptical, but paradigm open. shifts yeah. right along yep. the way. Yep. We used to think everybody used to think yeah that old Bill Murray school Dlogiston uh, was the yeah, thing exactly. that was. <laughs> It's like, well, at one point we thought this was, you know, uh, worms that are consuming your wife's body. But now we know it's little gnomes on the inside. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's such a genius. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Strategic navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. So yeah, you feel like that catches us up to the present uh, yeah, day. Yeah, I mean that plus, was you know, way more than anybody needed. Yeah, we lived for, in uh, Brazil for a little while as a family. Oh, yeah. We lived in Israel for a little while on sabbatical. We lived back in St. Andrews, and uh, so yeah, we've we traveled a lot as a family, nice. which is great. Yeah, if you want to kill your child's desire of wanderlust, like if they're going to go, <laughs> just drag them Europe. across the globe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My yeah. fav- my kid's favorite place is New Jersey. Like who whoever thought that would happen, All right? Um, so yeah, yeah. I want to pick your brain sometime. Maybe maybe now is not the best time on like uh, Gnostic Gospels and the Gospel of Thomas and Q theory stuff. Sometime like that stuff's it'll be a short pick. We uh yeah, <laughs> will it? Okay, yeah, I'm pick- <laughs> talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I mean, I'm, I I'm just thoughts, curious about I mean, it. It was definitely not anything thoughts, we yeah. ever read about in seminary, right? Oh, really? And, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I make my students read it because I'm like, I don't need to tell you about this stuff. Just go read it for yourself and you'll 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 see a lot of what people are talking about. You yeah. Know? It's not real long. It's way shorter yeah, than Mark. Yeah, it's very short reading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on. Uh well, cool. That's uh that's an outstanding story. I appreciate you uh you know, that that level of openness and uh and talking to us about that. I ask about people's stories to talk about like where they're from. And their memories and those sorts of things. And then the second question is about what are your intentions, which is just transitioning towards the future. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think you heard I don't have any intentions. Uh, <laughs> I get them kind of assigned to me as I go. When kind I Kind of a Lebowski s- of the yeah. you know, Hebraic <laughs> Yeah, thought. man, like, exactly. <laughs> like I'm over here signing checks for 69 cents, you know, for uh, for cream. Uh, for cre- get those so, white Russians at the peak Yeah, show. get those white Russians, yep. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I do. I'm very animated by the idea that kind of everybody overlooks the Hebrew Bible as a philosophical text and that it's an actual intellectual tradition. I wrote a book for Cambridge press, like making the big argument for that. And it's true. I'm in a work group with a seriologist and Egyptologist and classicist. So these are people who they read all those clay tablets and cuneiform and, and, uh, Egyptian tablets and stuff. And it's really, it's funny how, like and, and I've been reading a lot more of that in the last few years because of being in that work group. And I just didn't realize that the Hebrew Bible is very different than all of those. T- it, it, it li- it, it's being created in that time, uh, in the same time period, kind of in parallel. But it's just doing such different things and more and quite honestly, just such exponentially more sophisticated things. And, that, and that's not my opinion. That's like that's the opinion of the people who work in that on the text of those regions. Oh, wow. So, and these are not like confessional Christians or, or Jews. These are people who are mostly are agnostic or atheists who are saying like, yeah, 
Hebrew Bible's over there with kind of like the Greco-Roman tradition as far as sophistication hmm. uh, of thought. So that gets me animated. A little bit of like classism. I hate progressivism that kind of says those are primitive ancient people and yeah we yeah. moderns have figured this all out and kind of condescending yeah and it also creates genocide and that kind of stuff so. yeah there's that <laughs> little problem that we've had yeah. forever yeah elaborate on sophistication for me what what do you mean there yeah i mean like you know if you say something like how do you know how do you know something right um I think what happens is people read the Bible and they go like, well, these are really weird stories if they're in the story part or the laws are like, man, these are archaic and I'm working, I'm writing a book right now. And how do you, how do you read biblical law? And honestly, the, the hardest task of that book is like almost everything you know and think about law is wrong for biblical law. You know, it's all been created past the Greeks and, the, and then you're, you're projecting all of these ideas of legal theory back onto something that just doesn't want them. So I think, a lot of times we're reading it wrongly or we're just see it as a bunch of stories or poetry. And we don't value that as like making arguments about the nature of reality itself and how the world works and how humans work and how we know things and slicing and dicing shrewd realities. So for instance, I would say, I don't think it's an accident. I can't explain it genetically, but I, I don't think it's an accident that the scientific enterprise kind of started out with heavy influence from Greek philosophy and th quite honestly let's just call it what it is greek theology right belief in the divine and certain oh, yeah. divine ideas and over the centuries and millennia now has basically gotten rid of almost every single one of those greek ideas and landed in what we what i would call a, a hebrew view of the world the world is real law-like and knowable it's not fundamentally deceptive uh, our sensory input is not fu fundamentally flawed it can be flawed but it's not fundamentally flawed uh, there's no spirits or animation, you know, hiding behind everything. We essentially rejected all of those ancient worldviews, except for the Hebrew worldview, uh, which also, as you read through those stories, you realize that it, it affirms over and over again, investigating, creating null hypotheses, double checking to make sure, yeah. uh, and all kinds of, and, and uh, what what one University of Chicago professor back in the 1940s called the skeptical mood of the Hebrew Bible that oh, wow. you, that you really have to double check things and make sure that's what's really going on. And you see that sewn into its stories, it's, it's law and it's poetry. But if you think story law and poetry can't do heavy philosophical lifting, lifting, then you kind of write it off. At, you know, you don't even take it seriously at the beginning. Yeah. It's dismissive. Yeah. And I, I used to teach intro to philosophy and like if you teach intro to philosophy today, uh, and you have you have students read a bunch of different philosophical texts over the millennia. They're reading all of those kinds of texts. They're reading uh, Socratic dialogues, which are uh, stories about an old crotchety man wandering around pissing everybody off. Um, they're they're reading or or <laughs> Till Nietzsche they kill him for it, yeah, yeah. Or, or Nietzsche, who is the old crotchety man pissing everybody <laughs> off. Uh, but he man. writes in story, yeah, with treatises, poetry. I mean, like every everything that you can imagine, every type of literary style you can imagine is used in intro to philosophy class. But for some reason, I and I think it's just because the Western world is is mainly Judeo-Christianized. They look at those texts and they go like, oh, that, those are just religious texts. And I'm like, well, yeah, they are, but they're doing a lot more than that. And I think Christians get this wrong as well. Oh, yeah. Oversimplifying things, reductionism, yep. you know. Uh, not, not listening false, to it. False dilemmas, all of those sorts of things are, are just kind of in the air we breathe that we inherited from the so-called enlightenment. Yes. We, we need another. Yeah, like so-called enlightenment. We need something else. It's like, because it, in, in some ways, enlightenment is a version of darkening people's minds. Yeah. Um, 
as Calvin would say, their minds were darkened and clouded by their unknown, their great unknowing, right? Yeah. What, what's a better word for it? Disenchantment. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's actually a technical term that people often use the disenchanting of the world. Right. Um, right. And yeah, I don't know. We're not going to solve this in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you won't. The great darkening. <laughs> that sounds racist. Though. The, uh, the, the snuffing. <laughs> That's the not snuffing. the right word. <laughs> the logicizing. Of a yeah. candle. Just a candle. It, That's all we're talking about. You know what? Actually, uh, if I were to use an embodied metaphor, I'd say it was the great myopia. Where hmm. they start, they think they're narrowing down on what's going to help them to figure everything out, and they're actually excluding lots of routes to get there. Yeah, if I remember right, and you you'd be the one to correct me if I don't. Like, uh, vision is a very important part of the philosophy of science in the Hebrew Bible yes. and in Michael Polanyi's work around. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, you know, epistemology in that regard. So that yeah, and actually, in most languages and conceptual schemes, vision is the primary metaphor for. Although all the senses are used for for knowing something or understanding something, vision is typically the primary one. There's yeah, we do give a certain amount of primacy that. to that, just as humans with eyes up high on the front of our faces you know right which also admits to the um the the nece- necessity of community and all know it right because mm-hmm. you because you can you only have eyes see in the back of your head, head bro exactly. i got <laughs> eyes in the back of my head cat eyes the only thing i've ever had back there. <laughs> yes which nice. is the weakest form of don't shoot me <laughs> yeah 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 i had like when we were in iraq uh, on on base it was it was stupid and you'd like we'd be walking around with pt belts on on base (laughs) in a war zone yeah and i had i had this uh captain that wrote shoot me on his pt belt like (laughs) why are we wearing these why are we wearing these around it was like super garrison it was the stupidest if you're shooting anybody inside the wire like you better have like five reasons lined up yeah it was ridiculous (laughs) it was the silliest thing we don't want you to get run over by a truck what what yeah anyway you know it's funny they started doing all of that after because like when i went through boot camp now granted it was air force boot camp but it was july and august and <laughs> it was San soft Antonio. Shoot camp yeah yeah well yeah, i think i've told you my joke i tell students i was like well i wanted to join the military but i joined the air force so uh <laughs> that's what all the, the smart people do man yeah but even then july and august in san antonio texas we didn't even have water bottles on us uh, <laughs> I, we didn't carry canteens nothing oh wow uh and i've, I've yeah. noticed i've driven through there bef- uh since then i noticed everybody's got like double canteens yeah, yeah. strapped on them the and- pendulum has swung the other way on that yeah, one even yeah. when i went through basic training you know ten thousand years ago or whatever we had a two-quart canteen that we had to have on us all the time and i missed that thing after oh, yeah. I, was, I was like i just i was a water hog yeah yeah, yeah yeah and yeah. did you where did you go through boot camp for relaxing Jackson in South okay. Carolina. <laughs> no, no loss in the woods for you again. Okay. No, huh? No. I, Did so you I sh- deployed with the MPs, so I've heard all the tales of getting okay. lost in the woods, but oh, yeah. never We used to do myself. annual training yeah. there, so just okay. for fun. Yeah, it was, yeah in Missouri. Paul, Missouri. <laughs> Misery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hobbled. Uh, let's see. So those are some... Uh, digressions around yeah. your intentions, and they're they're fun. Did I say but, I think uh, I have ADHD? Right, I did. Say yeah. That, right? I, so I call it uh, what you described. I call attention surplus hyperactivity disorder. I'd have like <laughs> uh, I can hyper focus for sure for a real long time, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a hyperactivity component to it. Too, yeah, you know? yeah. 
But the way that I like to stitch together the past and the future when I ask people these questions is with gratefulness. So the third question is, what are you grateful for? Yeah. uh, Well, because I lost my job alongside all my colleagues who just lost their job. And um, when we've been together on this, I I like to say King's College was a small, you know, like 600 student college in the middle of Manhattan, like Wall Street and Broadway, basically, is where I, I worked for 12 years. I kind of jokingly say I, I, I've been working for a startup for the last 12 years, you know, because startups are only supposed to be a startup for like three years and then they move into regular operation, but it never made it past startup phase. So there was a lot of heave hoeing and a lot of everybody putting in 120%. And um, we were all very committed to the cause. There were no people punching the clock there. And so looking, you know, it was kind of an open wound that we slowly realized like, through financial problems, we're just going to have to close the college and we just all have to find somewhere to work, which you know how difficult it is to find somewhere to work. However, the thing that I I never got, maybe I should have, maybe I'm a sociopath, but I never really got sad. The overwhelming feeling that I had was gratefulness for all the experiences I'd had there. All this, like, I, you know, I had only undergrad students, but I can't tell you how many of them I learned from, how many things I just learned about culture and the world. You know, they would bring all kinds of weird stuff into class, but also that, you know, they just kind of like, and they grew up and I became, they became family friends of ours. Everywhere I've lived overseas, we've had students come stay with us, you know, former students and good friendships. It's great getting to watch people grow up. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for kind of, you know, my wife and my kids who have also taught me like anything I thought I knew my kids and my wife have like helped me see the error in my ways. <laughs> like I always put way. a, a yeah. pretty heavy, you know, I've got nine books, right. And I, I always put a pretty heavy thanks to my wife and kids, but it's not token ever. Like everything I'm writing on, it really is like, I would have seen this completely different if I didn't experience the world with them and have them point out things to me that I would have never noticed. So yeah, I think a lot I, you can tell my great fear is that I have completely misunderstood something or missed the boat. And so I I'm most grateful when I look around people who help me not to miss things. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, I love it. Family, uh my my parents, even my mom who is a crazy like neo-pagan lesbian for the last 25 years of her life. <laughs> I mean, she was, she was just a little yeah, out there, yeah, yeah. you know, and she had very good reasons for being way out there. She had lots of trauma from her childhood that she was working through as hard as she could. But man, I now like she, she died in the first summer of COVID. Oh. And I look back and like, every time I think of her, I'm like, uh, man, I learned so much from that woman even in her craziness, like so much good stuff uh, yeah. that came forward. Yeah. So I think I'm just like appreciative of everybody that I would say God has kind of walked into my life and, and why, why they're there. Even some people who, <laughs> one dude who gave me a lot of trouble a, a few years ago, oh, who yeah. I think I would have naturally wanted to be enemies with this guy and destroy him. But uh, I think God gave me some grace and I just prayed for this guy a lot. And, uh, and actually I learned, <laughs> I learned a lot about uh, conspiracy thinking from this one guy <laughs> he accused me of plagiarism um like professionally accused me yeah, of plagiarism sure. and yeah, i had yeah. to undergo all kinds of investigations brought you into the witch trials that academics yeah uh, still run you know, for, for why, whatever reason why are yeah. those trials so vicious because the stakes are so darn low right uh, <laughs> the, uh like it's not like anybody's making money. We're gonna burn this. him alive this yes. time. <laughs> exactly. No, no, we might flick his ear. Yeah, but <laughs> but even that dude, like 
even him in that circle, like I learned. Yeah. So you can hear it. Like I feel like a dunce most of the time. So I'm always grateful for people who are patient enough to like point me down the road and say, do you see that thing? You need to pay attention to that. So, and now my kids are young adults. Yeah. So it's so embarrassing when you're like your 21 year old comes to you and they're like, dad, I need to talk to you. And you're like, ah, crap. <laughs> uh, what did I do now? Exactly. Just tell me. Yeah. Get it yeah. over with. Exactly. It's like the reversal of the situation. And every single time I'm like, you're right. I did not, didn't even think about that. I didn't oh, realize. man. Yeah. I half joke around that my nine-year-old daughter runs everything. And it's a half joke. But there are times <laughs> where I'm just like, I don't know. Let's ask her. Yeah. Yeah. And she nails it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Why didn't yeah. I see that? Yeah. All right. Let's all go do that. Yep. She's going to take over the world someday. Y'all watch out for her. <laughs> Next podcast. (laughs) So with all your story and all your intentions and all your gratefulness, what are you creating? I feel like I just create crap all day long. Um, (laughs) We all do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm despite my, I don't, despite the futility of writing a book, I still, I'm always working on the next book, which I think is stupid. (laughs) And then I do. I mean, it does feel very silly. Yeah. And, and then no, you, I get it. Now that yeah. I wrote one, I understand oh, yeah, it better you know. than I ever did before, right? And yeah. then, yeah, in the process, you end up having to read I got that so thing. many good ideas. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everybody should hear my ideas. I should make them ink so that they're real. Yeah. Which, and there's the the more seductive side of that when a publisher comes to you and be like, hey, could you write a book on this? We really want to hear what you have to say. And my wife has been great at teaching me how to say no to, to things. But yeah, it does. I have been creating a lot of written stuff. And again, it's usually where I'm like, nobody's talking about this. Why aren't they talking about this? Let me, in the most pugnacious academic way possible, get people talking about this. So I've, you know, I told you I have this book on Darwinism coming out. Not, not because I know anything about that. I mean, I did take <laughs> sabbatical and I, I read, I did read a lot of science journal articles a lot of i reread darwin you know i you know i, I caught up to speed but it's Went not like i can read the cuneiform on yeah. darwin and yeah i yeah. was not and i'm not any kind of expert on it but i did notice that everybody's missing like a big chunk of the conversation and everybody wants to focus over here and so as the editor he said uh, he, he called it a very disruptive book so i i always have energy yeah. for disruptive books i like that yeah yeah but i don't <laughs> But constructive stuff, I'm not so great at. You know, I'm only I'm only good at like swinging a sledgehammer in this world. Let's let's make the playing field level. All right, y'all go Is play. It, I don't uh, know yeah. how to do that. Ex- well, exactly. <laughs> but there's a someone some listener will know. But there's one of Nietzsche's books. I forget which one. It may be the Gay Science, but it's called the subtitle is Philosophizing with a Sledgehammer. Um, that's it. That's nice. the actual subtitle. I'm yeah. like, that's kind of yeah, yeah. where I, that's where I fit. I forget the quote. It was from a, uh, an old world war two tank commander, I think who it was, but it was occasionally it's entirely appropriate to swat a fly with a sledgehammer. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's all I'm good for exaggerated claims and, you know, yeah. l- a little bit of evidence to back it up. <laughs> just, just enough evidence to keep the witch trials at bay. Exactly. Most of the time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Nice. But it's a book on Darwin for Christians, so who knows? The crazies are going to come out of the woodwork. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, it's like, should I just change all my email addresses right now? You're just dog whistling ahead yeah. of time, like, yeah. hey, come on out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. please write that 2,000 word email to me, showing me why yeah. I'm yes. completely wrong. No, the book's not even out yet. You haven't read it, but you probably <laughs> need to let me know. Yeah, let, let me. 
<laughs> that's how it that's how it happens. I'm sure you've gotten some of that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. <laughs> They're just letting you know they care, Drew. They want to send the email ahead of time and then they'll That is true. It. That is true. I mean, you can't you can't poke these bears without expecting them to like, you know, pick They're you up. They're paper and, tigers, and, every yeah, single and, one of them. Come wipe, at me. Yeah. <laughs> they want to wipe your butt with them uh, or they want to wipe their butt with your fur. That's what it is. <laughs> That's the joke. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, let's see. What what friggin' question are we on? I don't even care. Uh, what am I oh, creating? Oh, yeah. All right. We got, we got done with creating. And then there's the fifth and everybody's favorite final question. Who are you really, Drew Johnson? <laughs> I, oh, I went to therapy last year. So I actually have a good handle on this one. Uh, internal <laughs> family systems therapy. Have you heard? Or, yes. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. my goodness. Like. It's not for everybody. Like you got to be at a certain place in life to handle that kind of therapy. It's pretty prominent in the psychedelic assisted therapy. Oh, really? Literature yeah. and practice at this point. It, it pairs well in IFS parts work. Yeah. I'm sure part of it was the the skill of the guy I was working with, but it, it goes so deep so quickly. And I, and I had very precise things I knew weren't right and I wanted to work on them. So I think the truth is, and nobody would be surprised who knows me is that I am a scared eight-year-old boy <laughs> who is looking for everything to be solid and stable and not move around at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I've slowly warmed up to the waters that everything moves and er nothing is really stable except for a few, very few things. And that's okay. And uh, kind of learning how to become confident in, in a world where everything is moving and not stable and still help people along uh, along the way. So that's that's who I really am. And so you scratch me or say the wrong thing or push me or say something I don't like, that eight-year-old boy is going to strike with a vengeance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm keeping him mostly comforted these days and be like, you know, okay. it, we're, we're good. Everything's good. I got a great family. got a great, great, great life. And if it goes away tomorrow, it'll still have been a great ride. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I appreciate that level of vulnerability answering that question and authenticity for sure. Yeah. Okay. When do I get to ask you a question? Uh, well, you know, you host a whole bunch of podcasts <laughs> for a real long time and I've gotten zero invitations. So oh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Mostly that's because I've been looking for a job. Tables have turned. Yeah. I've read all your books. How many of mine have you read? Drew? <laughs> oh my goodness. Your, yours is actually, uh, look, do you, you see all these books? I haven't read any of these books. These are my two read books. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, um, like, but yours is, is actually is on my, my pretentious wall yeah. of knowledge that I have not yet acquired. No, I, in fact, I do have actually stacks of books here that are on my to read list. But yours is yours is high up on mine because yours sounds interesting. <laughs> I was like, I know this it's is going to be good. Yeah. It's um, a trip. <laughs> but I do have one question for you. Yeah, yeah. Lay Asking on for a family member. So I have a family member who got into Michael Pollan's book early on and hmm. uh, how to change your mind. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and this family member knew that I did LSD when I was a teenager. And so they started asking questions about, you know, like, what do you think about this? And so they ended up doing MDMA and mushroom and LSD guided tour pretty regularly with like three friends. And they're all at once or this is like no, no, a no, series no. These are, of these are trying different a series runs. of fortunate yeah. events or yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All guided, all of course in the Northeast. These are wealthy white elite <laughs> elite people, and uh, of course. And okay, yeah, here's okay. my question: Is tracking so far? 
if I were to say somebody who doesn't really have what I consider considerable traumas, but they just want to work out issues, is that like, is there a line where you draw? Because I, I have a lot of students yes. who have depression yeah, 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 yeah. and they're like, oh, I hear about these new therapies. And I'm like, and they're like, I know you've done LSD before. I was like, look, my experience of LSD is not one that like dictates anything. <laughs> I definitely have friends who had bad trips who I can still like call out sure. with a few yeah, words yeah. to them, you know. But yeah. um, but yeah, I, I I hesitate to say like, yeah, man, go for it as long as it's you know well researched because I'm like I I don't know if everybody needs to be doing this or if it's really just for that specialized acute uh, traumas yes. that I yeah, can yeah. imagine. Yeah, so I'm really glad you asked me the question. It's a really good question that I get asked, you know, pretty often. And uh, you know, like I can't speak professionally around like laws and regulations right, course, like yeah, i have yeah. to tell you don't do anything illegal right. don't be bad don't uh you know etc cetera, etc cetera. all you know i'm not giving any professional advice no doctor patient relationship is being formed by <laughs> listening to this podcast or by asking me this question or what you know like all of that baloney uh we run through right but on the other side of that the way that me and some of my partners all think about those things is with an acronym uh, called shot stabilize, heal, optimize, and thrive. If somebody's in a crisis, in an emergency, and needs stabilizing, we can do that. And it's not at all going to involve psychedelics unless we're talking about acute suicidality and ketamine-assisted therapy that I think there's enough evidence behind uh, using that intervention in appropriate people for stabilizing. But beyond that, that's not usually the case. And then healing involves things like MDMA-assisted therapy and ketamine-assisted therapy, and the way that that's been explained to me by other people with much more experience doing it, because, you know, MDMA is not legal yet, uh, but I have the training and I've read all the papers on it, that it's a good place to start is with MDMA and ketamine assisted therapy. In and that makes more healing. sense just to me as somebody who's done, <laughs> not ketamine. I've never done <laughs> right, ketamine. Right. Yeah. But as somebody yeah, who did some things of back contracting in the 80s. and expanding, yeah. so like MDMA and ketamine kind of contract somebody down and allow them to do interior work that's necessary for healing. If you skip straight to a rocket ship like LSD or psilocybin or some of the serotonin-based psychedelics or you know 5-MeO-DMT, uh, and you're not ready for it, those are expansive medicines in mm. terms of how to change your mind, those open your mind up. But if you're not ready to be that opened, it feels like you're being pulled apart rather mm. than expanding. And that's some of what's behind some of the psychology of a bad trip there is you just weren't ready for that trip. You hadn't done the work interiorly to do some of those things is, is how some people talk about that. And there's disagreements, you know, over whether like every trip you get is exactly the trip you were supposed to right, have, or right. you know, like the Calvinistic version of psychological <laughs> so assisted like therapy or whatever. 15 year old, you know, adolescent boys running through the woods, dropping LSD does not sound like we were prepared <laughs> I mean, maybe it depends on the 15 year old and where, where the woods are. Or I'm just, right? I'm, I'm just telling you right now, <laughs> not a single but, one uh, of us were prepared. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't ready. <laughs> this explains a lot. Yeah. Um, 
the optimizing and the thriving stuff, I think there's, I think there's a place for that. And it hasn't, you know, like it's not, again, because of legalities not been you know, well explored out in the, in the broad daylight yet. But I think we're on the cusp of the potential for a lot of the, you know, the stuff Michael Pollan describes. I don't think you have to have refractory PTSD or quote unquote treatment resistant depression to benefit from these sorts of things at all. It's really interesting that he chose to uh, title the book, How to Change Your Mind. Right. From, you know, a Christian perspective, given the just the background on what the word repentance means and how it's <laughs> metanoia is right. changing your mind. And that gets misunderstood a lot of the time as like, well, I was going to go left and then I turned right. And it's more like changing your diaper, like right. change your mind like a diaper. Right. You're taking off an old mind and putting on a new mind. And that's a lot of what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, metaphorically with the, the science underlying a lot of the classical psychedelics. So again, you know, just my personal, not professional opinion around a Got bunch you. of that stuff is, yeah, there's absolutely potential for not just healing work, but also optimizing and thriving through the rational use of psychedelics, if I can say it that way. Is that helpful? Yeah, very helpful. I like that shot. Stabilize, (laughs) healing, optimize. Instead of stabilize, heal, integrate, and thrive, we say stabilize, (laughs) heal, and optimize, and thrive. Sam Houston Institute of Technology, right? Isn't that what it was called? (laughs) I've been there. Yeah. That's that's combat medic school, baby. All right. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you asking that question, and I appreciate you answering all five of mine. You got anything else you want to say to our audience? To these people? No. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Merry Merry Christmas. Pugnacious. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Stock out.